We are happy for the Miami Heat because their jerseys have the drip. I mean, it's tough losing to a team that doesn't have a name. Because uh, I'll tell you right now, hand to the Bible, I'm not taking a tight end in the first round. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Expansion Buddies podcast. You made it to a Thursday. The week's almost over, and we really appreciate you hanging out with us on this Thursday or whenever you're listening. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Justin Wright. Hello, everybody. You know, Jared, for me, Thursday is actually my Friday. We only have four-day school weeks. Uh, It's true. Justin does get three-day weekends pretty much every weekend, so... Sort of. (laughs) sort of he is busy he is busy and then we are also joined by a very special guest uh my brother actually jacob miller jake why don't you introduce yourself well let me tell you that's not the first time my brother's called me special usually not in this context but (laughs) (laughs) yes oh we're coming out swinging okay and i am jared's brother and i am the I I believe he's mentioned me before as the Bengals fan and the Bucks fan. It's true. Jake is probably the only Bengals fan that lives within the Montana borders and probably the only Bengals fan that lives in the Western United States. So Jake, I'm sure everyone wants to know. I still want to know why on earth did you choose of all 32 teams to root for Cincinnati? Well, one day, as you probably know, our dad was watching the Steelers game and they were playing the Bengals, and I thought, hmm, why don't I just like the team that's playing my dad's team? And uh, that's kind of where it started, and I thought the Tiger was a cool mascot, and uh, little was I aware at nine, ten years old how horribly bad of a team it was to like. But I am ever faithful. So. That Yeah, I can't fault you for that. You stuck with them through some brutal stuff. Uh, I remember, quick little story – uh, that playoff game, oh, probably four years ago now, you guys were hosting the Steelers on Wild Card Weekend, and you and Dad were watching that game, and it was like uh, Mom and I could not be in the same room. Like, it was brutal. Like, And then when the Steelers won because of that hit by Vontez Perfect that set him a oh. field goal range, I just remember, like, just the silence that just was pulsing through our house. It was awful. I hated it. Bad day. Uh, and uh, Jake is also a big Milwaukee Bucks fan, which is part of the reason we had him on tonight. We're a little bit later in the show. We're going to get to the Bucks and kind of what their future we think looks like. So Jake's a big Bucks and Bengals fan. That's why we have him on tonight. But uh, first thing we want to talk about before we get to the NBA and the Bucks is we wanted to talk about uh, Joe Burrow. Being a Bengals fan, Jake has a lot of opinions on Joe Burrow. But before we get to Jake, Justin, I'm just going to ask you, uh, what, are, what are your impressions of the young man through his first two NFL games? Well, you know, we talked about this a little bit before. Um, I think it was last week. I, I'm impressed with him. In his first game, getting called to start like that, or getting to start like that in his first NFL game, and that last drive that he led, he looked like a veteran, not a rookie. He was very com- calm. He was very composed. Um, and that's exactly that kind of leadership I think the Bengals need. If he can keep that cool head throughout the rest of the season and into the future, I think he's going to lead to the, Bengal- the Bengals to some pretty good places. Now, granted, I think, and Jake, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think the Bengals have some other issues outside of just their on-field talent that yes. they might need to get fixed around him. But I <laughs> I think here in the next few years, the Bengals might be something to to really watch out for. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I, I, there is definitely, I think, some issues outside of quarterback for Cincinnati, but every franchise starts or would like to ideally build around a quarterback. And I really do think the Bengals have a good one. Like it's been quite a while, maybe with the exception of Kyler Murray, I think where the hype, surrounding a number one draft pick is living up to it mm-hmm. and uh with that jake i'll just turn it over to you wait jared jared before we move on what do you mean what about mitch trubitsky the man the myth <laughs> okay well to be fair, 
Mitch Trubisky was a number two overall draft pick. Oh, dang it, you're right. So there's clearly a huge drop-off from one and two. Who's won that year? I just I remember the goof that was Trubisky from that year. I think that was the year that Cleveland selected uh I think it was Miles Garrett. Yeah, Garrett. Oh, okay. I think and because the Bears traded with the 49ers to move up to two to grab him, and that's where all you know uh, yeah, so and it's really been paying off for the Bears. It's done wonders for Hey, <laughs> if we're talking about the Bears, I just want to point out real quick that if anyone listened to our fantasy episode, my sleeper pick, Darnell Mooney for the Bears, wide receiver out of Tulane, go green wave, got his first touchdown this weekend against the Giants, and things are looking up for that Dude, that, that was sweet. I saw on Twitter you posted that Matt Nagy actually sent the Tulane football program the game ball. I thought yeah. that was really classy. Personally wrote a letter to Tulane football and sent them a game ball uh, basically thanking them for developing Darnell Mooney into the young budding receiver he is. Uh, I said it a few weeks ago, guys. The Bears got a good one. And keep your eyes on Darnell Mooney, number 11 for the Bears. So anyway, out of Bears talk, out of the NFC. Jake, <laughs> I know you've been dying to talk about it. Tell us about your rookie and your number one pick, Joe Burrow. Um, well, first off, he is as advertised, you know, and maybe even better. I think the first two games he has played, like Justin said, he is he has not played like a rookie. He's played like a veteran quarterback, and he goes out there and he he is focused, he's accurate, he's cool. Most of all, I'm surprised how calm he is. He is just out there and he's he's throwing good, accurate passes, and he's just like you said. He's been – there's some things on their offense that are not good. Their offensive line has let him get hammered two weeks in a row, and that's that's tough. But for a rookie, he has handled it well. He has not placed the blame on anyone but himself, and he's just gone out there and he's tried to make every play he could when, when it mattered. And I think for a rookie, he is playing phenomenal. So let's talk about that offensive line real quick. Cause I, I would agree. They're letting him get beat up. Does that make, do you think the Bengals front office and, you know, ownership and coaching staff has the, the know-how or the, the, the willingness to go out and get some offensive line pieces to protect, to protect, you know, their asset Joe, Joe Burrow, or are they going to let him flounder and, you know, potentially get hurt. We've seen it happen before, not too long ago, with Andrew Luck retiring. You know, he got beat up. Uh, they they finally got some line help, but it came too late, and you know, we know how that story ended. Are, is that something that you're worried about? It's it's definitely a concern. But um, I know a few years ago they actually had one of the one of the better offensive lines in football. They had Andrew Whitworth. Clint Bowling, some other really good veterans, and their line was really good, and they just let those guys slip in free agency and go other places. And right now their offensive line is in it's in really rough shape. And the only bright spot is their first-round draft pick last year who missed all of his rookie season with a peck injury. He's back, and he's kind of having a rookie season this year. He's learning how to block better guys than college football, but – I think they definitely have the, the tools and the know-how to get better guys and protect him. And I, I think that's that's going to be their number one thing next season for sure because you don't want to let a guy like Joe Burrow just – you don't want to waste him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I was going to ask something similar. Um, you kind of already addressed the offensive line issues. You know, Joe Burrow, one thing that's definitely working in his favor is he has a guy like A.J. Green to throw to. That's never a bad thing for any quarterback, Mm -hmm. especially a rookie. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the quarterback position, I think anyway, is probably the most uh, heavy leadership position in all of sports, I would argue. And to have a rookie come in and to be expected to do the things the Bengals are asking him to do, Last Thursday night against the Browns, uh, I'm sure you guys know this, but he threw 61 times in that game mm-hmm. against the Browns. That He's the first rookie since 1950 with more than 60 pass attempts and no interceptions, by the way, in a single game. And it's the second most ha- pass attempts 
in a game by a rookie in NFL history. So the Bengals were asking him to do unprecedented things that night. And Jake, what I wanted to ask you is, what do you think that this, the Bengals staff thinks of the running game? Because I know you have Joe Mixon, but do you think they don't trust the running game? Or do you just think that they trust Joe Burrow that much to take to the air with it? Or is it a little bit of both? Um, that's a good question. I think it was really – it was a lot of situational things. I really think they do trust Joe Mixon. He's proven to be a great running back the last two seasons, over 1,000 yards with one of the most horrendous lines in football. And they obviously believe in him. They signed him to a long-term extension. I think they were just – they were in a spot where they were behind, and every time the Browns scored, they felt like they needed to keep in the game. And I think all night Mick – Mixon had been kind of getting shut down. He hadn't really had a lot of success that night. But I think they saw they were behind in the Browns score, and they said, we need to keep this game competitive. And I think Joe Burrow saw that too. And I don't, I, I don't, I wouldn't know if he was saying, coach, we need to throw this or that. But every yeah. time the Browns went out and scored, he went out there and he answered and he fired back. That's and true. I think maybe they saw that as maybe we can keep throwing and keep doing this and He'll, he'll put us in a better position to win. I think it was it was a lot more situational. Than, I I don't I don't think they don't believe in Mixon at all. Yeah, that that's true. Uh, I did watch that game, and I will say, uh, you know, when you have Joe Burrow and Baker Mayfield going head to head, two number one overall draft picks. Uh, Justin, I don't know about you, but this was the first time in a long time I've been looking forward to watching a Bengals Browns game. Yeah, no kidding. Um, it was funny because I saw the commercial for it and it was talking about the rivalry that's traditionally there. And I'm like, man, that's actually, I'm kind of excited for this game. It, it's been weird so far. You know, we're two weeks in. There's been a lot of games actually that I'm weirdly been excited for. Um, the Browns Bengal games was one. That's for sure. I'm like, I have no reason to be excited for this, but I think it'll be a good game. I thought it was a fairly good game. And then I don't want to talk about it now. I want to talk about it later. But the Saints-Raiders game, after the first week watching the Raiders, I was actually kind of hyped up for that game. Um, and I'd love to come back and talk about it, by the way. Yeah, definitely. That's the game we're going to have to touch on. But, uh, yeah, Jake, like um, was, oh, go ahead, Justin. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, you know, on, on the topic of passing a lot, you know, I'm, I'm a Buccaneers fan coming off the, the days of Jameis Winston where, you know, he aired it out a lot more than other quarterbacks in the league because we were a team that was always playing from behind. And that led to then more interceptions. Do you think now, and this is a question for both of you guys, do you think now that the rest of the league has seen that Joe Burrow has been asked to do a pass-heavy offense and they, they're they going to know that the line's bad, do you think they're going to start keying? I, I think I said keying already today, but they're going to start looking more for that pass and, you know, uh, really covering the receivers a lot harder. Do you, what do you think? Yeah, well, just from – for me anyway, I'll go first real quick, just from a casual observation. I think that if teams aren't aware of what Joe Burrow can do passing right now, then they haven't been paying attention. And I think in the future, teams are definitely going to start dialing up some more blitzes, I would say mm -hmm. probably, because the kid is phenomenal passing. At least he has been in the last two games. You know, like I said, he threw 61 times against the Browns last week. He threw 36 times against the Chargers. That makes 97 total times compared to just 52 runs. So the Bengals are clearly going to rely on the pass, at least it seems. So I think that defenses are probably already aware of that. They better be. And, yeah, I could see more blitzes. I, But like Jake said, he's – He's a, he's a cool customer. It's not going to phase yeah. him, you know. So, Jake, I guess I turn that question over to you, too. What do you think that opposing uh, defenses are going to do? Well, I mean, they're obviously going to key in on him uh, in the passing game. But the one good thing he has going for him is he's got a runner in Joe Mixon who can, can hit those holes and truck guys and run over people. So, even if they key in on him passing, I – if the line gets better, and even if it doesn't, Joe Mixon's proven to be a guy who can run the ball effectively. And when you can, when you can do run and pass the ball well, it's it's hard to defend a team that they can do both really well. But the league, 
the league has shifted more to a passing league. I, at least I believe so in recent years, you know, running backs don't get paid as much. And it's just, if you don't have a good quarterback, your team usually doesn't have a lot of success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The numbers definitely support that, that it's more of a passing league. Yeah. A mobile passing league. Definitely. And Joe Burrow, I mean, I think one reason he is so composed is because he's played in big games already, maybe not at the professional level, but the kids won a state title in high school. And then he went obviously with one of maybe college football's best offenses last year in LSU and won the national title pretty handedly against a very good Clemson team. He's been in big moments and you can tell, like you can tell, I can tell just by looking at his eyes when he's calling plays and in the huddle, he is calling, he like, you know, Justin, you said earlier, does not look like a rookie out there. And I have mm-hmm. just been impressed since, you know, basically the first snap with the chargers. And like I said, I know we're only two weeks in, but it's, he's living up to the hype really early yeah. on. And I think that this week he's going to get his first win as much as I love the, the Eagles. Eagles roster. Yeah. The Eagles roster. I, I think I just, this is going to be his moment, his rookie moment where he goes into Philly and he, he knocks off the Eagles and I'm not even going to call it a huge upset right now, just because the Eagles have been faltering in their first two weeks. But you know, on paper, if you look at the matchup, Joe Mixon versus Carson Wentz, like, or not Joe, Mixon, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, you got too many Joes on your team. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, I, I, I just think that Bengals are going to go in there and they're going to get the win over the Eagles. And I know last week's guest, Alex, might not like to hear that too much, but I think yeah, this, I was going to say, I think Alex is screaming at you from here. Either that or he turned us off right there. So yeah. <laughs> I just, you think know, that, I expect some angry tweets. Yeah. It, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I was thinking that exact same thing. I think next week is the week he goes in and he wins. And I can, I can tell you almost exactly why I watched their post game interview and Joe Burrow put the blame mostly on himself as he did the week before. Good leader. He missed, a, he missed a couple throws here and there that he could have made. He needs to step up. And the most interesting thing I saw him say is this might've been the first time in my football career that I've lost twice in a row. Yeah. And I saw that. Yeah. He said he will. The other thing he said is he will never accept losing or anything like that. And he, he just has that it factor that you don't, see in too many athletes and mm-hmm. I, I keep being drawn to compare him to athletes like Kobe Bryant which I know is a, a huge stretch Kobe's a was a phenomenal athlete but he he just it's almost like he has that killer mentality where he he wants to win so bad mm-hmm. and he's willing to put in all the work and do whatever it takes to just to win yeah, yeah definitely I, I can see that and I I definitely I I'm gonna watch his career with great interest and I'm really excited um, to see him play, you know, teams like the Steelers later on in the season. And, you know, we get to see that matchup twice, but the Steelers have a fairly good defense. I want to see how he does against, because no offense to the Browns and Chargers, but their defenses aren't on that, you know, that, that tip top level. Mm-hmm. And the Steelers have some really good pieces that I think will kind of show the, uh, the dynamic abilities of Joe Burrow. You know, it's, it- yeah, it's going to test him for sure. And Jake, along those lines, here's a question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot with it. I just thought of it. Uh, do you think that the Joe Burrow is going to upset the Ravens once this year? Oh, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, I definitely I wouldn't be surprised if he did. I'm not gonna. I wouldn't bet either way, but I I wouldn't be surprised if there's a couple games where people count the Bengals out and he goes out there and proves people wrong. He's been He's done that a lot in his, his life, and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he does it now. Yeah, I mean, you guys are known to give the Ravens a hard time. I mean, yes. I know that, and that's just how division games work sometimes. Those, yep, those mm-hmm. division games are always – they're tough in the trenches battles, and they're, they're hard-nosed football games. Yeah, and, and, you know, the fans listening to us know, I've said it before, that my Super Bowl pick this year is Baltimore, as I think a lot of people's are there – they're just such a good team this year and they proved it again this last week against the Texans. But uh, 
you know, I kind of agree with you. I wouldn't be super shocked either if you guys got him once because of Joe Burrow, because of that young man, for sure. Yeah, he's definitely a playmaker. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited for those matchups. I probably the first time in a long time I'm going to keep tabs closely on Cincinnati as the season goes on. Uh, Jake, I'm still going to have to give you a hard time about them when they lose. You know me, but I will. It's only, it's only a little bit tongue-in-cheek now. With I, I am very, I'm a fan of Joe Burrow. I'll tell well, you that right now. I have grown accustomed to the, the, <laughs> the losing, but I feel like we're heading in the right direction. Yes. And uh, speaking of teams losing, uh, not a super thrilling topic to discuss, but one we need to discuss is a lot of teams lost a lot of things this last week in the NFL. A lot of uh, phenomenal players went down with injury. And Justin, I'm just going to let you kind of start with this. Oh, boy. It's been a heck of a week. Oh, gosh. I don't before we talk about any of the players, I think this is really telling of why we kind of need the preseason. Um, because like I mentioned before, there's no the announcers were saying, and I, I fully agree with it, there's no way to get in game shape except for playing those games. And I think honestly, getting it your body ready to take the abuse that professional football throws at it is something that the preseason was obviously designed for. And I think a lot of people took for granted because obviously you see more backups playing and it's maybe not as flashy as the regular season. Yeah. But we are seeing so many people go down that I just, I can't imagine why we, after this season wouldn't bring the preseason back. Exactly. You know, we talked about it a little bit last week on the show, too. Uh, these teams just need it. And they not only need it for their on-the-field product in terms of success, but these individuals need it in terms of uh, physical conditioning, like you just mentioned. I mean, you know, talking about the preseason, the only guys that – and I don't mean this with any disrespect, but the only guys that really seem to go super hard in the preseason are the guys who don't have a roster spot locked up who are fighting to make the team. Your starters are not the ones that are going all out on every play, like it's the Super Bowl. And then you look at the list of injuries that happened this last weekend in the NFL, and it's all super, or not all, but it's just chocked full of superstar caliber. It's a lot, a lot of big names. You know, just a couple, Saquon Barkley, Nick Bosa, uh, you know, Devontae Adams with a more minor injury, Christian McCaffrey. I mean, you have guys who are normally starters who – I don't, you know, the list just kept getting longer and longer on Sunday, it seemed like. Yeah. Um, I know our friend Daniel, the Broncos fan, he's just, he's had it with the year, I think. You know, first. um, Von Miller, yeah. Yeah, Von Miller. Man, I'm blanking on names today. Von Miller and now Drew Locke, your your budding quarterback. Yeah. That's, That's a, you know, your star defensive player. And your budding quarterback, that's a that's basically a death sentence unless, you know, now they got Blake Bortles coming in, but I don't think the Bortles rocket can take them to the promised land. Yeah, it's, you know, and not only Locke, but Cortland Sutton too on Denver. Mm. Like if we're just talking yeah. Denver, yeah, torn ACL out for the season. So Denver's, Denver's in a really rough spot right now. They, I think they've gotten hit you know, maybe not the heart. I think honestly, I'd say they got hit in the hardest, the hardest this year, as yeah. far as the injury bug goes. Them, or I would argue, just based on this last weekend, San Francisco. But <laughs> yeah, that's well. I mean, how much was Jimmy G actually doing for him? But well, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We'll get to that. I actually have some interesting tidbits on the list of San Francisco injuries. But Jake, uh, it's I, I watched the Browns Bengals game last week. It seems like you guys actually got through pretty unscathed as far as injuries go, right? Uh, there was one guy, um, their starting tight end, CJ Uzama. That's a rough injury season. for you guys. It was really rough because I noticed he was stepping up at the tight end role the past few seasons with Tyler Eifert constantly being injured. And he stepped in really nicely and had a touchdown. And then that happened. And it, it was rough. And I, I do right. agree. I, I was actually going to ask if you guys thought it was caused by the 
short training camp and early preseason, but you guys are kind of already went over that. And I, I would agree. It's, I, I think it has something to do with no preseason and the, the short training camp. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, and the scary thing is like, you look at this list of injuries and it looks like a list of injuries that should be compiled over maybe a half a season or almost a whole season. And this is one mm-hmm. week. This is one week of play. Like we talked about, yes, I think most of it can be attributed to no preseason and a shortened, you know, off-season workout regimen. But there is something interesting. I don't know if you guys saw this, at least with the list of San Francisco injuries, who we've got Nick Bosa, Solomon Thomas, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Raheem Moser all got injured in that game against the Jets. Uh, Head coach Kyle Shanahan had some – not great things to say about the turf at MetLife Stadium. And he thinks a lot of it can be attributed to that. He said in the pregame warmups, actually, a bunch of his players were coming up and complaining that the turf was quote unquote sticky and that they thought they were going to have a hard time playing it all day. And then this happened. And I know that the NFLPA pushed for this too. And the NFL is now investigating to see if the grounds crew at MetLife uh, was negligent toward the turf. And if that is the case, I mean, the Jets are facing probably a significant fine here since they were in charge. Now MetLife Stadium is a unique situation where the Jets and Giants share and they share hosting duties. But this week the Jets were obviously hosting. And I think the thing that makes it so interesting is that this weekend 49ers have to go back and play the Giants in MetLife again. Oh, back geez. To back weeks. And Justin, I know your Buccaneers have to go to New York and play them in November. So yeah, you know, by November, I assume it's an issue that's going to be fixed. But if if it is true that, that that grounds crew was negligent, that can have huge ramifications for honestly both the Jets and the Giants. It yeah, it at the very least would lead to fines for them, and you know, depends on how creative Roger Goodell wants to get with the punishment. Honestly, that's it's like a worker getting hurt and getting you know compensation for lost wages. The 49ers have huge contracts on some of those players, or with some of those players, I should say. Oh, yeah. Like um, Nick Bosa? <laughs> yeah. Nick Bosa, their, their quarterback, that they signed a huge deal Whether Now they're paying all this money for no production from these players. These players aren't getting to play. And it could be, you know, that team or that staff's fault. And you could get, you know, crazy with it. You know, a lot of people, if a lot of people are saying, oh, it's just the 49ers have a – Super Bowl hangover. If it was the turf and it was a real issue, then it's not their fault. Yeah. So that that could be potentially the thing that, you know, kept them from the playoffs this year. I'm not going to say that they're necessarily going back to the Super Bowl, but it could have been the thing that kept them out of the playoffs because they had some of their key pieces get hurt. And, and there's, there's such a big list of possibilities there that I think if it does come out in the investigation that, you know, things were left that way when they could have been changed – uh, or it was negligence, I, there's going to be a heavy hammer coming down on those organizations. Yeah, as there should be. And the first thing it reminded me of, uh, being a Seahawks fan, is in 2012, as a wildcard team, Seattle traveled to Washington, D.C. to play uh, Washington, and that was the game where RG3 got really badly injured. Ooh, and yeah. it came out later that the that the grounds crew had done a horrible job on the turf. And at the time, and maybe they still do, I don't know, honestly, but Washington used a natural grass field and it was just muddy. And I remember both uh, Seahawks and Washington players uh, complained about it after the game. And you obviously saw what it did to RG3. And I don't remember what the fine was that the NFL handed down to Washington, but I'm, I, if I remember correctly, they were punished for it. And I don't know if we're dealing with the same situation here, but it's really, it's interesting that the 49ers had four injuries come out in that game. Yeah. But, you know, and then just as far as other injuries goes, other significance, uh, speaking of New York, the Giants lost Saquon Barkley, probably one of the biggest names that hit that list this week in an Mm -hmm. injury uh, torn ACL also against the Bears, the Packers, they're, they're unsure if Devontae Adams will miss significant time right now, but he had a hamstring injury. We talked about Denver's injuries. Christian McCaffrey with Carolina, they say he's out four to six weeks. Anthony Barr with Minnesota with a shoulder injury. Paris Campbell with the Colts. And then my Seahawks lost a couple on Sunday night last week. Bruce Irvin and Marquise 
Blair, both with knee injuries, both expected to be out for the season. That's a huge hit to our defense. And then we'll get to it in a second and a very different style of injury, uh, the Chargers with Tyrod Taylor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, honestly, that was a, that's a big list. And that's not even all of them, too. No. So, there's some that, you know, now are cleared up. But, like, Michael Thomas with the Saints was out this past week. And that's a huge piece for them. I, it's it's just crazy to me how how bad it. I felt like it was worse than usual last year too. But yeah, this week was unprecedented. It felt like, yeah. um, you know. And, and Justin, I, uh, how did Tampa Bay get out of their game with Carolina as far as injuries go? I think they did pretty well. I honestly, I wasn't able to watch that game, and I was fairly busy getting stuff ready for this week at school. Um, we're also preparing for our first junior high football game. That'll be the day that this airs, so Thursday. Justin, wish head coach Justin (laughs) luck with his first game this season. It will be Thursday night. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. We're playing the Lincoln Lynxes. How many flea flickers are you running? Uh, Zero. (laughs) Zero? Uh, I'll I'll take the over on that. I bet you go with one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we got any our playbook, so. (laughs) Fair enough. But, yeah, you know, just a brutal week for injuries. And then yeah. let's let's talk briefly about what happened with Tyrod Taylor and the Chargers. Man, so I just saw the story when I got home today. And it's, it's right now, for full disclosure, it's Wednesday, September 23rd. I got home about 6. I haven't checked my phone all day. I've been at school. And I got on Twitter real quick to see what was going on. And the first thing I see pop up was uh, that the Chargers team doctor – or was administering painkillers for Tyrod Taylor's ribs and punctured his lung. Mm-hmm. And that, I just, I don't even know what to say at this point. Sorry, let me collect myself a second. I, I It's baffling. Say, it's baffling. It, it is baffling. Mm-hmm. And I, I am a person, I, I've got kind of a soft spot in my heart for Tyrod Taylor. I, I like him. I like watching him play. And I feel like he's kind of got a, a bum deal in some of the situations he's been put in. And this kind of feels, you know, like it's continuing the bad hand he's been dealt. I think these NFL teams have got to get it figured out with their team doctors because clearly there's been an issue of them. Um, The big one was obviously the Washington football team last year where their team doctor said that Trent Williams was basically fine. And it turns out he had cancer. He went to the team doctor because he had – a growth on his skull and they told him it was a minor injury. Yeah. Oh, so this wasn't last year. I'm looking at when it started. It was several years ago. Says he played for six years with it. And it turns out it was cancer. It almost leads me to believe, and there's been issues with like the Jets team doctor too. It almost leads me to believe that some of these, some of these organizations are, and this could be just a conspiracy theory. You might want to put on your tinfoil hats now. But they're hiring people that maybe are less about their Hippocratic Oath and more willing to say what the team wants them to say to make sure that players are out on that field. Or, you know, just people that are willing to say that and put the injury or the players at in, greater injury risk. Yeah. Um, and didn't the Jags have an issue with that too? Like their team doctors not letting them go to, to, to outside doctors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that a little bit. Was that this offseason or – Last off season. I think that was last off season. Yeah. I remember a little, yeah. You know, it's like I said, the word I had was baffled. Like when I saw that news on Wednesday, also, I was just, I was just, I, you know, you're a doctor, like you, this should not be a mistake that happens. Now this was before the game and I'm not making excuses. Odds are he was probably rushed trying to administer this to Tyrod so he could get, Mm -hmm. you know, ready to play. But this, it's your job, you know, the welfare of these guys. And, and I, again, obviously am no medical expert, but I feel like this is one of the easier, quote unquote, procedures to do. You know, you weren't asked to perform open heart surgery. And, and head coach Anthony Lynn has come out since and said that he is not upset with the doctor. He just said he called it an unfortunate mistake or something uh, to similar effect. But it, it just can't happen. Like, it can't happen. And Tyrod Taylor had to go to the hospital there in L.A., was obviously unable to play. And the doctors said that he 
shouldn't play for a significant amount of time now because of this. Like, this is a serious deal. Mm-hmm. And it's just like you said, Justin, he's been dealt some, you know, crappy hands. Uh, and, and it just seems like this is another one. And I just feel for the guy. Um, but yeah. yeah, Jake, what do you think of all this? I didn't really know what the whole deal was with Tyrod Taylor. I saw the doctor did puncture his lung, which kind of confused me. I, I don't see how that happens when you're a medical professional. But um, it, it's, I mean, pers- personally, I thought most of all, I would feel horrible because that's something that could potentially kill someone. And, you know, m- mistakes like that are just, uh, they're scary and they just, I don't, they, sh- they shouldn't happen, but yeah. I, I understand mistakes do happen. That's, that seems a little, little extreme. Yeah. And I get it. You know, we're all human. We all make mistakes, but there's just like times, like you said, where it can't happen. And that's one of them. And I don't know what's going to happen to this doctor as far as repercussions from the team goes. Um, you know, I don't think it's something he's going to lose his medical license over. Like I've heard some people calling for, you know, and obviously I don't, believe that he did this on purpose of course but it's just yeah it can't happen and I guess if there was any glimmer or silver lining that came of all this is uh the Chargers got to see what they have in rookie quarterback Justin Herbert who I Oregon bias right here absolutely love I know there's some people out there who you know very suspect on him coming in uh he took the defending Super Bowl champs to overtime and almost won that game. Justin Herbert is, I'm not going to put him right up there with Joe Burrow yet, but he's, he came in and he didn't look like a rookie either, but I just feel so bad for Tyrod Taylor because it finally seemed like he was going to get a chance to really showcase his abilities and shine here in LA. And again, he's going to be sidelined with some more bad luck. I will, I will say like, I, I've definitely seen some people tinfoil hatting, like, you know, on the the maybe more realistic scale, like, oh, the team wanted to put Herbert in sooner, but they didn't want to just bench Tyrod Taylor. To the more lunacy side of things, where it's like, oh, clearly the uh, team doctor had Herbert in fantasy, had to get him starting. But I wonder if this will lead to any NFLPA, you know, pushing for better team doctor regulations or anything of that nature. I It's like that uh, – Phineas and Ferb bit where, where Doofenshmirtz is like, oh, if I had a nickel for every time that happened, I'd have two nickels. You know, it doesn't happen a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. Yeah, well, and, you know, know. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, like you mentioned earlier, this is not the first time or even the second time it's happened with NFL yeah. team doctors. You know, you brought up Jacksonville and Washington and uh, something that happens too often, too often. And, you know, accidents do happen, but – it's it's tough when it's an accident like that from a medical professional. Tough pill to swallow, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. And like I said, as far as repercussions for this guy goes, uh, I don't know what they're going to be. I would venture to say, based off Anthony Lynn's comments on Wednesday, that they probably won't fire him. But biggest thing is my heart goes out to Tyrod Taylor, and I hope he can come back soon. And yeah. I, as much as I love Justin Herbert, which I do, and that is a – thing I will go on about another day uh weird times for the Chargers weird times so let's talk about a couple of games uh I'd like to do my upsets and upsetting games segment real quick we need to have like a little music segment here or something I think (laughs) we'll find some Um, music for it let's let's get rolling with it though yeah so I hope you all came prepared I'd like to pull up my powerpoint now for you just, of you. I'm just kidding. I don't have a PowerPoint. Justin's teacher is coming out now. If you yep. can't hear, <laughs> raises glasses. I don't wear glasses. <laughs> Boy, there's some. Let me talk about those Las Vegas Raiders real quick. Boy, how many people had the Raiders beating the Saints? Uh, not I. Yeah. Me either. I certainly didn't. I hoped because it was good for my team, the Buccaneers, to have the Saints be one and one. But. I watched that game with great interest and the Raiders made the saints look silly. My Lord. I, did you guys watch the game? Did you get to, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't, I, I kept up on the score and uh, I'll get to it in a minute, but that's my upset game too. But yeah, I didn't actually watch it. What about you, Jake? I saw bits and pieces of it. No, not all of it though. Honestly, I will say 
I, oh, I, I forget which – it was an NFL YouTuber I watch. I forget which one. I apologize. But someone said it looked like playoff Drew Brees where he was making bad decisions and constantly checking down. But Drew Brees did not play well. Um, and part of that may have been the fact that Michael Thomas wasn't on the field. But if you're a truly great quarterback, doesn't do you need to have your best wide receiver on the field to win? In, in my opinion, no. I think you should be able to make it happen with the best of your team because one man does not make a team. But I digress. He still did have Alvin Kamara. I didn't get to watch the very beginning of the game. The Saints were up 17 to, I believe, 7 at the time when I started watching. And the Raiders came back. I think they were at 17-0 at one point, too. I'd have to go back and check the score. But the Raiders came back. And they, they fought. And Derek Carr... That game, honestly, was kind of really good for him. I think it showed that he still has got some some gas in the in the tank, so to speak. The car still got gas. <laughs> the Raiders were able to showcase some of their, their weapons out there that night. Um, and their offense just kind of made New Orleans look a little bit silly. One of the things that uh, the Raiders really had going for them was Darren Waller. The newscasters were saying the Raiders went to that game and they saw him warming up that he had had some alcohol problems, I think, because they were talking about him becoming sober. But he wasn't able to play and he was warming up with the rest of the team. And his work ethic and his route running really impressed Coach Gruden. And so in the offseason, they went out and got him and he made his presence known that game. The Saints could not stop that man. It was amazing to watch. Yeah, clearly. Um, You know, I agree. My game, my upset game was also Vegas beating New Orleans. You just delved into it way more deeply than I could, you know, seeing as you actually watched it. But I do know that, you know, what a great way to christen your new stadium in your new city. Yeah. I mean, get the first win. And I think Derek Carr signed the wall and yeah, it's uh, it's, it's, that's awesome for them. And don't look now, but the Raiders are two and oh, I'm actually looking forward to seeing what they can do this season. After they beat Carolina, I'm like, yeah, it's Carolina, though. They're kind of not great right now. But they beat the Saints. The Saints have been a perennially pretty good team the last few years. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think it leads – it lends itself a lot to the fact that, you know, there's – the past couple of years since uh, John Gruden's come in, there's been a lot of rumors that he and Derek Carr don't get along. He doesn't like Derek Carr. But I think the way that Derek Carr and the Raiders played last night – or not last night, excuse me, the other night, lends itself to a lot to why Gruden and the Raiders have chosen to stay with Derek Carr. We've seen him make some not great plays, but it's one of those things when he is on, he is just on. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Jake, did you have the same upset game or did, would you have a different one? Uh, I did. That was, that was that the same was one. one yeah. That, that surprised me the most. Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that was probably most people's. If that's all our upset game, let's talk the upsetting game. And, Jared, I want to see if you concur with me. Falcons-Cowboys. Definitely, 100%, no question about it. Jake? You know, as a Bengals fan, I would say it's upsetting they lost, but I'm used to it. But I, I would agree that the Cowboys beating the Falcons was quite upsetting. Uh, I Did anybody watch that onside kick? Uh, yeah. Uh, I did. I did, and I wish I hadn't. Can, can anybody explain that onside kick to me? I can explain what happened. I can't explain why it happened. Yeah, that's exactly I, – I just watched it again before the podcast. And word, I, I just – It's just – What it, the again, heck? How do you let this happen? Again, it's baffling. And what it looked like to me, honestly, is if watching that play, like the Falcons recover team didn't know the rule. Like, they didn't know that they could recover it at any time. Like, they didn't have to wait for it to go 10 yards, but they all stood around like it was a hot punt rolling, and they were saying, don't touch it, don't touch it. And then, like a top, it spins and barely hits the 10 yards, and then Dallas jumps on it. And and then they go down, and they kick the game-winning field goal and pull off the, what, 21-point or whatever it was comeback to beat the Falcons. And it's like – like, oh, Falcons fans, I just can't imagine what it's like to be a Falcons yeah. fan. <laughs> and that's – I don't know who it is because I don't know the Falcons roster. I'm, but 87 on that kickoff, 
he just watched that go by and he's just arms out and he doesn't jump with the ball and he has the opportunity. That's I don't want to say that loss is squarely on his shoulders, but it's definitely not not on his shoulders. Uh, number 87 is tight end Jaden Graham. He and the rest of that special teams unit just made a major blunder. Um, and honestly, you know, the fact that they came from a 20-point deficit, I just it, – it reinforces in my mind that the Falcons are just not that good of a team. They're definitely not built to hold a lead. No. Uh, we've seen that time and time again, and there's all the memes about, you know, what happened in the Super Bowl. I, I'm so glad I'm not a Falcons fan. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think you and a lot of people. Jake, what did you take away from that horrific display by Atlanta? When you do something like that, you, you open yourself up to criticism, and I, I think they look like stooges out there. Yeah. I like that. Stooges yeah. is a good word for it. They definitely did look like stooges. I, I don't know what else we can – I mean, I, I do give props – to the Cowboys, I mean, that's not an easy deficit to face and to come back and, you know, but they, they definitely got a little help from the incompetence of Atlanta. And I just, yeah, sure. I don't know. It's, uh, you know, we were pretty across the board this week with upset and upsetting games because there was two very clear front runners in those yeah. categories. I wonder, um, I wonder how much, special teams is getting picked on this week in practice oh you you hey you're a coach you know this special teams is running oh laps Lord. they are running laps this i week. would if that kind of blunder happened if i if i was a head coach with a special teams coach i i coach six man football i have myself and i brought a graduated student to be my assistant but if i had a special teams coach i would be chewing his butt yeah that's just a negligence of Either they don't know the rules and they should. They are at the highest possible professional level for football or good Lord. I, I mean, I was going to say that, you know, like this is something like you wouldn't be super, you don't want to see it from your team ever, but you wouldn't be so shocked if it happened in high school or even maybe in college, but at the NFL, like this can't happen. They, those players need to know those rules. That should not happen. No, at all. No. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of videos and stuff going around social media of Falcons fans burying or burning or getting rid of their jerseys. Like, I think this was felt like the last straw for a lot of people. I just, yeah, it must, it must be hard to be a Falcons fan. I will say it may be hard to be a Falcons fan, but it's really easy to root against them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, anyway, gentlemen, if we've got no other thoughts on the NFL, and the craziness that happened this week. Uh, the last thing we wanted to talk about with our guest Jacob today is uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, of which he's a very big fan of, you know, suffering another unexpected playoff exit after being the best regular season team, this time at the hands of the Miami Heat, who are, at the time of recording this, actually up 2-1 in their Eastern Conference final series yep. with Celtics. They're playing game game four right now. The Heat are up by one at the moment. Yeah, don't count them out. Uh, Jake, I'm sure you know that better than anyone. Uh, why don't you just real quick give us a run? I, not to make you relive it, but what, what do you think went wrong for Milwaukee this go-round? Well, what went wrong? There's, there's a multi multitude of things that went wrong throughout the season. But Let's specifically, I'm sure we all know what happened in the playoffs. They – and more so the bubble, they, they were not themselves. This has, this whole situation of them losing again in the playoffs rather disappointingly, more so disappointingly this year than last year, it's put them in a very precarious situation with Giannis. They've, they've, they've for sure got to play their cards right here. But what I think went wrong throughout the season was, number one is coaching and management, which may be surprising because – Wow. What would be wrong with their coaching and management if they've had the best record two years in a row? Mike Budenholzer was the coach of the year last season. But uh, or playoffs are a different story. Regular season, great. They play great. Best defense in the league, best offense in the league. But playoffs is where the coaching really, really struggled. Specifically, I looked at player minutes, and I think it's unacceptable that a player like Giannis should – only be playing 32 minutes a game in a playoff game when they're losing. 
other other superstars like him, like LeBron, play 38 minutes or sometimes even more. And when you've got a player like Giannis, you need to put him on the court as much as you can because he significantly improves your chances of winning. And I think the biggest problem with their defense is they have a great post defense, but the problem is it allows a lot of threes. And Miami was very good at hitting threes, why they lost that series. But um, another thing that went wrong was their management. They decided to let Malcolm Brogdon go, which I think they should have dipped into the luxury tax to keep him. And they kind of downgraded in a lot of their positions, specifically their bench and their starting shooting guard, which I think is the reason they had a worse record than last year and part of the reason why they didn't play as well in the playoffs. Another thing that went wrong is their other players need to step up. Like, you get it, Giannis is the big picture. He's the guy that's the star. But your your other players, they've got to step up. I mean, Middleton, as a number two guy, he's okay, which is hard for me to say because I really like Chris Middleton. But he needs to be more consistent, and a lot of their players need to be more consistent. Eric Bledsoe, A-plus defender, but he's almost a liability on offense. And It's just, can you even keep a guy who's a liability on your offense sometimes? But. Well, and, and Jake, now I know there was something you wanted to tell Justin that you thought the real reason they didn't win that series was. What was it? I bet uh, I know what that reason is. Let's it hear is it. Because they did not wear their cream city. I knew it. They, the <laughs> fools, they shouldn't have wore the better jerseys. Dress well, play well. Yeah, look good, feel good, play good. That's my exactly. Advice. I told my players the exact same thing today, actually. <laughs> nice. Uh, I knew you guys would bond over that cream city thing. Dude, the but, Cream City jerseys are so good. Yeah, they uh, – well, it's like I said before, Jake has two of them. Right, Jake, two of them? I have one. I actually gave one as a birthday present to my best friend, who's also a Bucks fan. Shout out to – But I didn't Logan get one. McQuinn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll, I'll put you on the list for next time. <laughs> um, but you, so now you, you've kind of addressed what you think – went wrong for Milwaukee, which I totally agree with you. Like we talked about earlier, it cannot be a one-man show. When we did our NBA playoffs episode, I said the same thing about Portland and Damian Lillard. Like that's always what gets us down the stretch too is uh, they rely too much on Lillard and he can't do it by himself. And I think, yeah, that Mm, happened with Giannis. And you actually mentioned Giannis that you think that this puts him in a very – or not him, but puts the team in a very – peculiar situation with him now mm-hmm. you know there's all this talk of him maybe wanting out and I know he's come out since and said that he wants to stay but I'll be honest with you I think if you guys don't put it together this next season I think he's gone I think he requests a trade or he's out the door in Milwaukee I think it's next year's championship or bust for you guys what do you- I, I completely agree you know this next season is you put all your chips on the table and you bet big and you have to go all in to win, to mm-hmm. keep a guy like him. Because the last time they had a player like Giannis was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and that was in the 70s. Yeah, eons ago. 50 years ago. And wow. you just – they can't let a guy like him leave. Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I totally agree. Because if Giannis is out the door, your championship window closes for, you know, good – Who knows how long. Yeah, yeah, at least half a decade here. So – what do you think that, you know, your GM John Horst has to do to build around him and build a team that's going to take him all the way next year? Um, I think there's a multitude of things he can do. A lot of, I, I think a big thing they have to do is they can't be scared to dip into the luxury tax. You may have to spend more to get a roster that wins. And I and I know we're talking, they would have to pay millions of dollars more, but to them, it, it, it sounds hard saying this, Millions of dollars to them is, is nothing, mm-hmm. but um, they need to, and I think they can make a number of trades and off-season signings that could greatly improve their chances. Uh, any in specific that, you know, like guys that you think that would be a good compliment to Giannis? Um, I actually have four trades that I think the Bucks can make, and they're, I, I think, very realistic. They could very well happen, and I'll list them off from which trade I would least like to see to the one I would love to see. And feel free to ask questions or comment on anything. My first trade is for 
this may surprise you, Devin Booker. Ooh, you think the Suns are going to let him go? Not after his bubble performance. I think it would take a lot to get him. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons this trade would not work is they would have to trade. I think the, the Suns seeing what Devin Booker could do, the only reason, the only way they would trade him away is for, obviously the only person for the Bucks who was untouchable is Giannis, which means everything else is on the table. And I think the Suns would want Chris Middleton, which I, I don't think the Bucks are ready to let go just yet. Which yeah, I well, think... and coming from Phoenix's standpoint is they, you know, maybe want Chris Middleton, but they're going to need to be something else to get rid of Booker. Yes, they, I, I see them for a trade for Devin Booker, Eric Bledsoe, Ursan Ilyasova, Robin Lopez, four first-round draft picks, which mm-hmm. – um, in the NBA, you can't trade two consecutive years. Like, you couldn't trade your 2021 pick and your 2021, 2022. Mm-hmm. So, they would be staggered. But so four first-round picks is a lot. And the pros for Devin Booker is the dude, he's lights out. He can shoot. He's an up-and-coming star. He, he wants to win. And I think he would be a great fit next to Giannis. He's not that great of a defender, but I – I think the Bucks would have to give up too much for Devin Booker to make it worth it. I agree. So that's the one you'd least like to see, right? It would be fun, but I, I think they'd be giving up too much for Devin All Booker. right. So what? moving up the list, what's next? Uh, so two and three were actually really hard for me to differentiate. So these can be easily switched. But number three, I have Bradley Beal. And the reason I have Bradley Beal is because I think – He's a phenomenal number two star. We've seen him play great next to John Wall. But the main reason I have him as the number two trade is because the Bucks would have to give up their starting center, Brooke Lopez, as well as a few bench players. And again, four first round picks because the Bucks are trading for a guy here that can push them over the edge. And any guy is not going to be cheap. Mm-hmm. And the reason I put this number three is because Trading away Brooke Lopez, which is something Washington would need because they wouldn't take Eric Bledsoe. They have John Wall. They'd, they'd, take, they'd, they'd rather have Brooke Lopez. And I think Brooke Lopez and Giannis together create the best post defense in the NBA. And I don't think you want to mess with having the best defense. I think defense wins championships for the most part. And I think, I think Brooke Lopez is too valuable, at least for Bradley Beal. To give up and I don't know if I'd be as the Bucks. Bledsoe has been really dropping the ball in playoff situations and I think they they may be looking to deal him somewhere else. Okay. Uh let's hear number two then. Number two also may surprise you, but I have Victor Oladipo. Ooh again I have kind of the same question. Do you think the Pacers, what would they ask to get for him because he's kind of their their star player. He is, but he's in a very particular situation with the Pacers as well. Victor Oladipo's in a situation. He's coming off a very big injury that's had him out for almost a season and a half. Yeah. And he feels like he, he is an all-star caliber player. He's made the all-star team. Victor Oladipo obviously wants the max contract he can get. And I don't know if the Pacers – are really comfortable giving a player with his injury concerns that much money. Okay, but, but do you think the Bucks are? Because you just talked about them possibly having to dip into the luxury tax for Giannis. That, you know, what kind of room does that leave for a guy of Oladipo's well, caliber? In Oladipo's situation, if they trade for him, he would still be under his current contract, which wouldn't end until the end of next season, like Giannis is. Okay. So he would have one season to play out his deal with Giannis. And – after that, it's up in the air. But for Victor Oladipo, the Pacers would get Eric Bledsoe, Dante DiVincenzo, who's played great off the bench, and I would, I'd hate to see him go because he's one of their future players. First round draft picks again, but you're trading for another superstar. But I think Oladipo would be a great pair. He can shoot. He plays pretty good defense, and but those injury concerns are a bit, bit worrisome. Okay, fair so, enough. I just I have a question real quick. Again, I'm I'm someone that I've said multiple times I'm a a basketball novice. 
But do you think if they go for some of these key pieces and go into win now mode, do you think they're, you know, sacrificing their future success for short-term victory? Yes. And I think right now it's sacrifice your future for your present, but like sacrificing their up and coming players like Dante DiVincenzo, who I think most likely will become a starter someday. I would hate to see it happen, but if they had to trade him away and they won next season, they're gambling to keep Giannis. That's, that's the big picture here. Giannis is their future before these young players are. So I think oh. they have to take the gamble. Okay. So you think it is, a, it is the right call? Uh, it's tough. I personally wouldn't want to do it, but I think the situation they're in, to keep Giannis, they have to go all in to show him they want to win and they want to keep him. Well, like you just said, you, you wouldn't want to do it, but I was about to make the joke, man, the way you're talking right now, maybe you should be the GM for Milwaukee. I, <laughs> hey, Get John Horst out of there and get you in there. I mean, I'd be open for an interview. If you'll have <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Milwaukee, if you're listening, you got a candidate. So, uh, okay, not to rush you along, but who's your last, your last trade that you, the one you'd most like to see? So this one is the one I'd love to see, and I think it's, I think it's very realistic, honestly. Okay. And that is Chris Paul. Okay. Which has been a big thing, you know. People have said all around Milwaukee should trade for Chris Paul, and I, I am bought into this. I I'm sold on this one. And it's really interesting because Chris Paul is in a situation where he signed a horrible deal with the Rockets. Horrible for the Rockets in any organization, but good for him because as a 30-plus-year-old player, it's very rare you see a player in his 30s-plus get a max deal. He's making $40 million a year at age 35, I believe, and which makes him – not wanted by a lot of teams because a lot of people don't want to play an aging player that much money for two more seasons. But I think for the Bucks, this is a trade they need to make because Chris Paul is a veteran player. He's got leadership. And the biggest thing Chris Paul can do is he can close games. Giannis is great, but no offense, I don't want Giannis shooting a game-winning three for me. He's not there yet. He's not. He's not a shooter yet, and he's not – that guy, Chris Paul, is a guy who can finish games, push them over the edge, and he he's played well with other superstars before. He played good with Blake Griffin and relatively well with James Harden, which I say sparingly because playing with James Harden is, I think, not good for any other player, but that's a different <laughs> conversation. But I think Chris Paul would be the move that puts them in the best situation. Interesting. Those are all four really, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think they would all help. Yeah, that's interesting. And we'll see, you know, as this off season moves on for Milwaukee, if they do anything similar to what you're saying here, you know, one I heard thrown about that I really don't like uh, being a Portland fan is I heard that you guys should trade to get CJ McCollum. And I, uh, per, I do not endorse that at all. So um, nothing against CJ McCollum. He's a fantastic player, but He's not the guy the Bucks need. I agree with you. Keep him on Portland. Keep him on Portland. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, that's – I think we're all kind of of the consensus then that it's kind of six, one, half dozen of the other as far as the gamble you're making here to keep Giannis. But I totally agree with you. Like, I think if you even have a chance to keep a player like Giannis on your team and to keep him happy, uh, you've got to take this – you've got to just gamble with it. And mm -hmm. I'm really interested to see what you guys are going to do, uh, how you're going to respond to another, uh, you know, unsuccessful playoff trip. And yeah, I mean, you'd know better than Justin or I clearly on what Milwaukee needs to do. I think you laid out a pretty interesting blueprint. We'll see if they follow it. I hope so. And if it does work, maybe the Bucks should send me an email. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm available for hire. You heard it here first if this pans out. So oh, real quick though, Jared, before we get finish up for the day, um, besides your own team's games, which game are you most excited for over the next seven days, the next week? In, any sport or any sport, any sport. You know, I'm actually not super excited for Seattle's game with Dallas and football. I think it's gonna be a weird one that we lose. So 
I would say probably game four between the Lakers and the Nuggets because on Tuesday night, the Nuggets, who were down 2-0 at the time, uh, beat the Lakers by eight to make the series 2-1. They showed a lot of fight, a lot of poise uh, after Anthony Davis hit that game winner in game two that could really just could have really ended it all right there for Denver psyche wise, but they rallied back. I'm really excited to see if they could tie this thing up and, game four I've always felt that in the seven game series game four is always the most pivotal one no matter what the records are and if Denver ties this thing back up we're automatically at a best of three here uh winner take all and go to the go to the finals Mm -hmm. what about you Jake uh that's a really good one and I I I would love to see that but the one I'm looking at next week's football schedule and Chiefs Ravens caught my eye I mean that's a Monday night football, I think that could be a high scoring affair. Preview of preview of the AFC championship? Maybe, maybe. maybe. Could be. All right, Justin, what's yours? So I really want to say Chiefs Ravens, but boy, am I honestly for some weird reason, I'm excited to see some Packer football. You know, I it's weird. I've been excited for teams to play the Saints, and I'm I wanna see what Aaron Rodgers does this week. I wanna see if he keeps up that role. Because he has been fun to watch. It's going to be a good one, too. Sunday night. I know, yeah. Sunday night. The other one I was going to say was the Stanley Cup Finals continuing, um, which right now, Lightning are up 5-1 on the Stars. Ooh. Well. In in, what is this? I think game three. Yeah, game three. Excuse me. Yeah, which is series is currently tied 1-1, but uh, it seems like Tampa Bay is going to be up 2-1 after Wednesday night. Yeah, if if the Stars can come back from a four-point deficit, I'd be very surprised. And I think with that, we are about at that time now. Uh, Jake, thanks so much for joining us, uh, for being another guest in a hopefully long line of guests on the Expansion Buddies. Uh, You know, I always love giving you a hard time about your teams, but I really like listening to you talk about them too. So thanks for being on with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jake. You brought some really good insight. Yeah, definitely. We'll have you back for sure. You passed the test. We'll bring you back. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I loved I loved being on. It was a good time. Yeah, and uh, for all our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in yet again. Uh, we're already on episode nine now. It's crazy. It's flying by. I know. We appreciate you all listening wherever you're listening from whatever you're listening from. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. We publish every Thursday, as you know by now. Yeah. Anything before we close out, anything that you want to plug Jake, any projects you got going on? No, I'm a pretty boring guy. I don't really have a lot of social. (laughs) I'm pretty, pretty uh, off the social media anymore, but. uh... All right. Well, uh, if you haven't followed us on Twitter yet, either the expansion BU one, find us there. We're putting polls out all the time. We're trying to interact with you guys. So we'd love to hear from you. All right, everyone. Thanks again for listening. And always remember party like it's 1976.